I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org. As we enter the home stretch of the 2016 election season, K-12 education hasn't registered as a major issue at the presidential level. But that doesn't mean that what happens on November 8th won't have big implications for K-12 education and for school choice in particular. I'm Marty West, Editor-in-Chief of Education Next, and joining me to discuss the implications of November's elections for the issue of school choice is Nina Reese, President and CEO of the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. You can find an article by Nina at the Ednext blog on five reasons why school choice is important right now. Nina, thanks for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me. So why, in your view, is school choice an important issue to be talking about right now? Uh, For several reasons. First and foremost, based on your survey, it is one of those issues that most voters uh, want. And people like to have choices. And having a choice in the education that your child receives is no different than the other choices that you want in your life. It just so happens that in inner city settings, those choices are greatly limited. So as a result of expanding choice, you also end up benefiting the needs of a lot of low-income families who want access to better schools. Um, The five reasons that I cited in my blog consist of the fact that choice is popular, uh, the fact that from an academic achievement standpoint, the students who are attending, the low-income students, the special needs students, and the English language learners who attend charter schools tend to do better academically compared to their public school counterparts. Uh, Choice also has the opportunity or the potential to revitalize communities in um, places like Washington, D.C. Schools like Two River have seen um, the gentrification of their neighborhood, and so you can use choice in very creative ways to bring back business and make communities safer. Um, Choice also, in a lot of instances, brings both parties together. Uh, And and this is perhaps a good leading, um, a a good way to get into the general question of how uh, this issue is going to play out in the November elections at the federal level. And I'm happy to. So to the extent that choice has come up, at least in the presidential election news cycle this season, The ways in which it has have to be a bit unnerving for someone like you who's committed to this cause of providing parents more options. So I'm thinking of Hillary Clinton's early comments that we need to really make sure that charters are serving the most difficult to educate students and raising questions whether they are actually doing that. This coming from someone who had a reputation as being a longtime champion for the charter school movement. Then you had the Democratic platform Uh, introducing a lot of stern language about, again, ensuring that charters serve uh, English language learners and special education students in adequate numbers and really raising questions about whether they should be expanding uh, when that may take resources away from school districts. And then most strikingly, you had the NAACP saying that we should have a moratorium on the creation or the opening of new charter schools. So are you concerned about those developments? Well, I'm more of a glasses half full than half empty person. I think that whenever you are um, coming up or trying to place a reform that has that truly tra- stands to impact the trajectory of public education, if you're having an impact, you're going to see opposition. So this resistance is not anything new to us. 
uh, how we react to it and where we end up after the elections is the bigger question. And so uh, to kind of take the questions apart a little bit, Senator or Secretary Clinton has been a big supporter of education reform in general. Her husband, Bill Clinton, was one of the first people to talk about charter schools on the campaign trail when he was running for president in the early 90s. In fact, uh, he used to talk about charter schools at a time where you only had one charter school in Minnesota, and his political advisors would tell him, you know, even if people had these in their community, I mean, there's so few of them right now in place, this is not an issue you should even talk about. But that's how adamantly supportive he was. Um, and, and throughout time at the federal level uh, between President Clinton, President Bush, and um, the current president, President Obama, we've had vast support uh, from the administration for charter schools, which has translated into more funding for the creation of new charter schools. A lot of people don't know this, but the federal government has now invested upwards of $3 billion uh, in a program called the Charter School Program to launch new charter schools through grants to states for them to offer startup dollars to new, new charter schools, and just recently also has offered millions of dollars for the expansion and replication of effective, school, uh, uh, effective charter schools around the country. Uh, it has also made investments in, uh, in facilities finance through an incentive program that offers incentive to states that have uh, baked or are moving towards including per people facilities in their funding formula and credit enhancement for organizations that are willing to offer loan guarantees and um, creative ways of financing facilities. And so you think that record of support from the federal government for the creation of additional charter schools will continue regardless of who's in office. Are you concerned about maintaining support for charter school expansion within the Democratic coalition, given the developments on the campaign trail? Well, what's happened at the federal level, as you know, is that the left and the right, that they're polarizing movements on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, and those voices are loud. And um, uh, to some extent, the center is thinning. Uh, you don't have a lot of new Democrats anymore, and they tended to be the ones who were the biggest advocates of charter schools in response primarily to the voucher movement, if you recall. So Senator Mary Landrieu is no longer in office. Senator Joe Lieberman is no longer in office. We still have a good base of support in the House and the Senate, but it's going to be even more important for uh, these members who are supportive to become true champions of charter schools and to defend the growth of charter schools. Because at the end of the day, if you really want the movement to grow, um, you, you, do, you need startup funding to give those individuals who want to start a school some funding to launch their schools. They cannot access per-pupil funding until the school is opened. And so if that funding stream is limited or reduced, you're pretty much going to uh, confine the movement to those who have the capital to start charter schools. And so it's going to be confined to uh, individuals who may not be um, you know, the next generation of entrepreneurs and so forth. So that's one problem. And I imagine that maintaining charter schooling as a bipartisan issue is sort of a critical priority for an organization like yours. I think we've seen with No Child Left Behind, with Common Core, what happens when a particular idea comes to be associated with one of the two parties at the federal level and how that can really change the dynamics around that issue. Um, you know, how do you work to make sure that that remains the case? This is extremely important for us. As, as you mentioned, the choice and charters in particular have had huge bipartisan support at the state level. Most of the state legislatures that have passed charter school laws over the years have brought people in the center left and the center right together to support the growth of charter schools. And uh, we have long embraced this tradition. 
Um, and uh, you definitely also have a dynamic right now in Congress in particular where most of, char most of our charter schools are in Democrat districts. Uh, and in the House, certainly, and uh, but the majority of the support comes from members who don't have any charter schools in their communities. And so that dynamic is not good, and we think that it's very important for those who have uh, charter schools in their districts, that they hear about those charter school leaders, that they visit those charter schools, that they truly understand how those charters are reforming and impacting their communities so that they, in turn, can become the champions um, in the future. So let's turn to the state level uh, where the decisions are actually made in American education and where you know there need to be charter school laws in place so that the federal government can support charter school growth and all eyes here are on what's going on in Massachusetts. So can you tell us a little bit about the ballot question on uh, the uh, agenda there and uh, your thoughts on it? Sure, and Marty, you live in, in <laughs> Massachusetts, so you probably are seeing this in action every day. Uh, so Massachusetts is a very interesting case study in a sense that it is one of the healthiest charter school markets in the country. Uh, it started uh, as you know a, a small movement. They don't have they they had caps in place to make sure that they um, that they grow that they grew up in a very measured way. And the individuals who were in charge of opening charter schools, the kind of the early authorizer, were very careful in making sure. That that only those who really knew what they were doing were opening charter schools. So as a result, um, you know, the, the, the movement in Massachusetts is a very high quality movement. Every study that's been done, and you have looked at the studies very carefully yourself, shows that the academic performance of Massachusetts charter schools are by far better than the performance of the traditional school system. And especially in urban settings. Especially in urban settings, yes. and. Um, um, as a result, there are huge wait lists for families to access uh, these charter schools. Unfortunately, though, there are three different sets of caps in Massachusetts that have been in place for quite some time, specifically designed to avoid the problem that we're about we have we're facing right now, which are these are caps around how many can how many you can open, how much money can transfer from the traditional school system to charter schools, and those are the caps that are currently uh, on the table and being discussed. And they're binding these caps only in urban areas, right? right? So they would not prevent a charter school from opening in my home school district of Newton, Massachusetts, uh, because they're based on the amount of revenue coming out of a specific district. Correct, correct. So it's it's harming the very students that you would want to serve, the ones who need access to a good quality education the most. And it's prohibiting these students to go to pretty high quality schools. I mean, let's not even consider charter public. And these are high quality schools that put you on a better trajectory to graduate from high school and go on to college. Um, so what's interesting, again, is that uh, the legislature hasn't been able to lift these caps. The governor is a big supporter of lifting the caps. He wasn't able to get his legislature to uh, go along with lifting the caps. And so the issue is now before the voters of the state of Massachusetts. The fight is going to happen in a few weeks um, on the November 7th ballot. And, um, and the opposition, quite frankly, has been very um, um, assertive in opposing the lifting of the cap and asserting the fact that millions of dollars are going to be lost as a result of, uh, of, of funding being transferred to charter schools. What's unfortunate about this debate, though, is that we're talking about students in the public school system to begin with, and charter schools are public schools. And so if you were to think about this as serving the needs of those students, it really shouldn't matter whether it's happening in a public system or in a charter system. Um, but 
you know, all eyes are on Massachusetts to see if the strong support for charter schools can actually translate into voters going to the ballot box to cast the vote in favor of, of the initiative. It does seem to me to be an important symbolic moment for the charter movement, really answering the question of whether we can maintain strong public support for charter expansion in a deeply blue state. Because if you can't do it in Massachusetts, where, as you say, the track record is so good and so well documented, then the question becomes, where can you maintain it? And it's not just support for some charter presence, um, where I think many people are comfortable with a small, non-threatening, carefully capped charter sector, but really, can you allow the charter sector to expand to meet demand, which is really what the voters are being asked there. Exactly. Um, but I will say this, passing initiatives and referenda is a very complicated process. Most people who go to the ballot box to cast their votes for candidates often don't pay attention to the questions that are asked through initiatives and referenda. And if the issue is polarizing, the odds of not getting an answer to the questions actually go up considerably. Um, so what's at stake right now is quite interesting because you have ads and you have the opponents and the proponents both playing quite quite a bit in the court of public opinion. And so it's going to be interesting to see which side is able to get people to actually pay attention to these questions and to the extent the teachers unions are really mobilizing their base to vote against this initiative. It could very well be that, you know, it wasn't because the voters didn't act, didn't, didn't want the, the lifting of the cap, but the fact that you just had a more mobilized base that had um, decided to take this initiative down. Yeah, we do know from political science research that there does tend to be a bias towards the no vote on right. ballot questions, and uh, that that tends to happen late in the uh, election cycle. And so we have started to see hints of that in polling data from Massachusetts, where you had uh, a sort of small margin in favor of lifting the cap now shifting to a small margin against it. Um, and so perhaps we don't want to read too much into the uh, election results, despite the fact that I do think it's a, a important symbolic moment for it, the charter yes, movement. Yes, it is. And, but also remember that you still have a relatively small charter school movement in the state. You don't have a lot of students in charter schools. So, um, I, so again, public support is high. Polling definitely shows Democrats supported, but whether those voters are actually going to pay attention to this question and be mobilized enough to vote yes is definitely something that, um, you know, uh, is on the table right now. We have had victories on the ballot before. As you know, just a couple of years ago, Washington State in 2012 passed, um, passed their charter school law through uh, the ballot box after the, after the fact that the legislature had voted down the passage of charter schools three years in a row. So we have had some victories, but that is a very different scenario because it was the question was around just simply creating new options. It wasn't around lifting the cap. Well, Nina, thank you for joining me today. We'll uh, be watching the results with you in Massachusetts and beyond, and maybe you can come back early uh, in the next year and tell us how things turned out. Great. Thank you. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners, and more listeners find us. Thank you for tuning in to Education Next's weekly podcast, released every Wednesday morning. For more on education reform, visit us online, educationnext.org.